Hello and welcome to Explorations on Feminist Leadership by One Future Fellows 2021, a podcast by the 2021 cohort of the One Future Fellows, where we discuss, examine, and learn about all things feminist leadership. Anushka and I'm joined here by Vandita and Rahi and today we will be speaking about safety in educational spaces To begin with we want to pay homage to the mother of Indian feminism Savitribai Phule as well as her partner and social reformer Mahatma Phule In the 1800s when India was still colonized they started the process of making educational spaces safer in india by fighting to make them anti caste as well as accessible for girls and women and while we are here dissecting the intricacies of our experiences we do need to acknowledge that we come from privilege with regard to our educational experiences in english medium private schools from maharashtra india when we speak of safety we often imagine it to be extremely linear almost like a boxed concept but actually safety is something that moves with us wherever we go whether it's physically emotionally or socially so what is safety safety is at the core of feminist leadership through this we aim to create safer spaces and more inclusive spaces for the intersectionality of various identities school especially is so crucial to forming these identities because it is our first social induction So why not discuss the importance of this? Why not start the practice of building safer spaces from school itself? Safety is a layered concept to us, one beyond what's usually taught to us as kids. We are often taught about safety as just a physical aspect of our being. Although, if we don't feel okay emotionally, do we feel safe? If a person were discriminated against on the basis of their caste, would they feel safe? If the people in charge of the educational space normalized or accepted homophobic, transphobic, or misogynistic remarks, would it be a safe space? Thing has impacted us in ways we don't even realize. Looking back, I think the first instance that really stands out to us are period talks. I remember yeah. my experience. <laughs> exactly, I remember my experience with period talks. Uh, the first blunder my school did was uh, took only girls and took them to a separate room. So we were asked to walk into an assembly hall, and uh, there was a teacher who took her place by the mic, and she said, "You know what? You're going to get your period. There's going to be blood, and you can't tell anybody about it." And I'm not even kidding. That is exactly what she said on a and- mic. Yes, on the mic, so that okay. we it's loud and clear. And, you know, it's really, it's just, and you know, it's funny because we get to laugh about how strange it is, but it's also so difficult to imagine that we made something that is a very normal process that most of us experience into something so inherently unsafe as something we need to suppress and hide. You know, instead of using that space to educate us about our periods, to teach us to acknowledge the discomfort that might come with the symptoms, instead of acknowledging all of that, we were mm-hmm. just asked to hide it. We would smuggle bags, quite literally, so that no one would see it. So true, and you know, I think that leads me to another kind of talk that was done in our <laughs> schools. In my school, we also had the sex talk, um, and it was essentially one of our teachers taking us. 
to a classroom and mind you taking only the girls to a classroom we don't know what happened with the boys which was quite strange because this should this talk be for everyone and the talk was essentially something just like that right like don't have sex until you're married um you cannot trust a man before that and all of these uh very heteronormative yeah. things just put forth on children it felt like it wasn't enough that we felt subjugated to the male gaze from such an early age feels like we were taught to live through it by our teachers themselves in the sense that we were taught to alter our presentations and behaviors according to the feelings and sentiments of the men around us even in the educational space and at that age we don't even know what a male gaze is right we don't know what Absolutely. the concept of the male gaze is so that is of course accepted as our normal all of these things that we talked about make me wonder just how safe were and are our educational spaces um the first thing that comes to mind is punishments in schools you are often given punishments for a variety of reasons such as not doing your homework on time or coming to class late and things like that and while more often than not these do come from a place of uh, good intention they can often stick to this single view of what learning and growing looks like like not all kids are going to learn and adapt to classroom in the same way for example if you think about neurodivergent kid as a neurodivergent kid in school i remember feeling overwhelmed because of all like the number of people around me and also finding it difficult to verbally speak up when i was in class with all students around me but i did participate in other ways but they were not often validated which which makes me think of how like in schools when you have points for class participation and things like that it's so it's so important to understand that not everybody will participate and not everybody will contribute in the same way and to sort of make space for all these different ways of interacting and understanding and learning so that each kid feels like they are enough thank you for raising that point anushka that's it makes so much sense because in my experience as well i think the aspect of neurodivergence was nor was it recognized and it wasn't acknowledged either right so there were for that reason no accommodations for children who were neuro, neurodivergent and that just meant that kids with neurodivergence or neurodivergent children were entirely othered in the educational yeah. system there was a right or wrong good or bad student and the latter would most likely be sort of labeled on to somebody with neurodivergence absolutely i completely agree in fact everything like every standard whether from assess- assessment to gauging has always been from a very neurotypical standard like it's always been that way and circling back to what you spoke about punishments um we realized that punishments were technically used to reinforce certain actions and reinforce certain behaviors but in reality that the opposite of safety like mm. has no punishment has ever made us feel safe it's never given us that space to make mistakes in fact that little that implied shame has always left you feeling stuck we've always felt like you know we're trapped here and we made a mistake so we are the mess 
it's never been you know it's never been given as a chance to you know work on something or learn something new I'm listening to you to talk about school's approaches towards speed talks and sex talks which I resonate with so much makes me think of how as kids we so often feel like we have such less autonomy over our bodies and our emotional well-being like yes we are young and the adults around us have a lot of years on us in terms of experience and their kind of wisdom and they're doing their best to look after us but so often that can be done in a quite rigid way and with a sense of shaming like what you said about presentations makes me think of how the ways in which schools often reinforce dress codes and uniforms and how do we deem what is more appropriate and what's not like who gets to keep their hair long and who gets to keep their hair short why does the length of shorts have a different implication than the length of a skirt and how much of these might just be ways of reinforcing old gender norms i feel like at least from personal experience when you're at an age where you're just starting to figure out your relationship with gender sexuality and other parts of your identity and seeing how it all intersects with the identities of your peers and classmates it's so important to have a space where you can safely experiment and explore and express yourself in a way that feels authentic to you at that moment of time whether that changes in the future or not to sort of have a space where you can do that without being made to feel small or shamed or restricted i feel is so essential when it comes to safety and you know this just is another way of establishing power because mm-hmm. this is literally you know who holds power over whom and this brings us to the conversation of how power dynamics are established very well right right from the beginning and we don't just mean power dynamics you know between a teacher and a student which again automatically disrupts a learning space mm. but also power dynamics within the students you create this binary of a good student and a bad student you attribute traits that define a good student you attribute traits that immediately label someone as bad and then you expect every single child to live up to those very rigid standards yeah you know um this also makes me think of the very initial talk we had about period talks and sex talks right yeah. i think within that sex talk we discussed how the boys were in one class and the girls were in one class and i think that in itself is establishing a certain power dynamic yeah. where very passively right like the boys didn't get that sex talk they didn't get that period talk and the same what we did so so i think it's it's this strange it's you know we speak about internalized misogyny now but who is putting it in into us like what's the, where do we where we into no absolutely you know and you realize that all your years of schooling we've been taught to submit to authority instead of actually question it and you know understand the real world this also leads me to question how are we creating you know space for emotions and how are we creating space for vulnerability you know we're not teaching our students to be vulnerable we're teaching them to be resistant we're teaching them to be resilient all the time 
like so our emotional toolkit is inherently flawed and there's so much focus on just constantly asking the absolute correct question the question that's going to gain you points but not the question that actually allows you to learn all of this like boils down to like how identities especially vulnerable identities are repressed in unsafe spaces and it sort of is is reflected in the world around us in the same as it is in our classrooms and like they are either not given space to grow or they have they are made aware of these already defined structures under which they are then forced to like grow you know Absolutely. so true like how many of us spend so many years in one institution over a decade only to walk out with utter confusion not knowing who we are not knowing what we want to do sitting and spending all of those years after unlearning whether it is in therapy or whether it is otherwise what so true. Is, yeah right and this was imagine spending that long in one institution being taught subjects and organic chemistry and maths but not being given the skills to actually understand yourself better and experiment with your one life so true i think it it feels like school teaches us what we should be rather than what it is that we can be as children you know this brings us to a glossary section where we explain words that we used earlier in the podcast beginning with male gaze the male gaze invokes the sexual politics of how one views another and suggests a sexualized way of looking that empowers men and objectifies women in the male gaze women non-binary or transgender people are viewed visually positioned as an object of heterosexual male desire their feelings thoughts and their own sexual drives are less important than their being framed by male desire what is neurodivergence how humans perceive and understand the world and others around them is a constant negotiation of boundaries and terms like neurodiverse and neurotypical can help with this neurodiversity is an idea that takes into account variations in the human brain regarding learning mood attention sociability and other mental functions that doesn't pathologize the conditions meaning they are not regarded as abnormal or unhealthy but as differences to be understood and worked with in relation to this studies also show that traditional education is actually preventing kids from developing and showcasing their natural abilities and that we must allow them to experiment and occasionally fail what is a power dynamic in school when there is a hierarchy established explicitly or implicitly children make sense of social dynamics like gender religion and caste as they do with other aspects of the world around them through witnessing others lead by example or from inspiration students try on different ways of being with others an interesting aspect to note is that of all developments that the world has seen in the past century the primary and secondary education system has actually remained pretty much the same for 100 plus years why are we teaching with the same ideas when we have realized that learning happens in so many different ways so what does the safe educational space look like personally I had a close experience with such a space in my last two years of university in my English literature classes where we had more queer inclusive and queer affirmative literature and teaching practices 
I actually talked to a few of my peers, um, both younger than me and in my same class, about their experiences, and I sort of realized just why it was the safe space that it was. Um, to share certain examples, we were at the start of our year. We were given the option of sharing our pronouns if we were comfortable. And there was a uh, emphasis on the comfort because not everybody is comfortable sharing their pronouns, but it also does help um, normalize it. So it can it is it mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. it both creates comfort for the ones who might just be sort of exploring parts of their identity, and it also helps in sensitizing allies and um, people like that. Um, I talked to my friends and like my queer friends, and um, we we thought about how like there were people who felt more that they were able to be more open about their identity and were able to sort of talk about things that were like close to them. Well, also the sense that the classroom was a safe space where everybody could talk about these things, so you wouldn't necessarily be outing yourself. If you sort of brought up uh, things in discussion, so it creates both safe spaces for people who do want to be more open, verbally open about their identities, and also people who are like slowly coming into it in their own time because both are valid, and you don't really owe your identity to like anybody, and you should be able to you know live it. In whatever sense you want, so I feel like classrooms should make space for that to understand that everybody's journey of acceptance is diverse and different, but equally amazing in 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 its own way. I guess we realize that safety is not static. It is not just one thing. It can mean completely different things for different people, especially in educational spaces. And validating and respecting that kind of diversity is the most valuable lesson we can teach our children. This brings us to the end of today's conversation. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us and listening in today. We really appreciate your support. If you liked this episode, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at One Future Collective and at One Future underscore India on Twitter. And keep an eye out for the future episodes of Explorations on Feminist Leadership by our One Future Fellows for 2021. Please leave your questions, comments, feedback, or anything like that for us on Anchor or in our DMs. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Until next time, please take care of yourself and we hope that we can explore more together. Thank you. Thank you.